coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio. This is Cleveland Browns Daily on ESPN 850 WKNR. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. And we welcome you into a Thursday edition of the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of your Cleveland Browns. My name is Jason Gibbs. I'm the producer for Cleveland Browns Daily. Occasionally, I contribute to the show, but I'm also the host, along with Andrew Gribble, Brown senior staff writer of the best podcast available, the Browns podcast that airs a couple times a week during draft season and during training camp. And today, we're taking over the best of Cleveland Browns Daily. Not a hostile takeover, just a takeover. It's all right. We want you to know about us, and we want you to give us a listen. You can listen to any of the podcasts from uh, the past, I think we're 24, 25 weeks, uh, from basically the beginning of February all the way up to about a week and a half ago when the virtual offseason ended. Two episodes a week. 37 episodes in all here in 2020. We've been a little busy, and we'd like to showcase some of our stuff for you today uh, by taking over the uh, Best of Cleveland Browns Daily Show, featuring the best podcast available. On today's program, you'll hear some of our interviews, uh, like our interview with Vice President of Player Personnel Glenn Cook, rookie center Nick Harris in his first-ever media interview, Uh, The voice of the Browns, Jim Donovan, uh, during our May 8th schedule release show. Browns rookie safety, Grant Delpit. Browns linebacker coach. I almost said rookie. It's his first year here. He's anything but a rookie. Jason Tarver will join us as well. So a lot to get to on today's edition of the Best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available. You can log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe today. Check us out to the best podcast available. You can also watch all of our episodes. We have got some great video where Jeff McDaniel, Anthony Bacco behind the scenes, they spin the dials. They put nice little graphics up, make us look good on TV. We have faces for radio, but you know they want to put us up on the video side of things, so we oblige. YouTube.com slash Browns, the place to go for that. We are brought to you today by OBM. Uh, OBM, Ohio Business Machines, preferred copier provider of the Cleveland Browns, who have all the X's and O's for your office. Call 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. We'll kick things off right after this timeout. It's our interview with Vice President of Player Personnel, Glenn Cook. Looking forward to playing that for you and giving you a little taste of the best podcast available. This is the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack on ESPN 850 WKNR. Welcome back into the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack, featuring the best podcast available. I'm your host for the day, Jason Gibbs. Bo and Nathan are back with you tomorrow to round out the best of CBD this week. We're kicking off uh, today's show, featuring the best podcast available, a podcast 
that Andrew Gribble and I do from Berea twice a week, every Tuesday and every Thursday. And we usually do it during draft season and we do it during training camp. This year, we kept right on going all the way up to the end of the virtual off season just uh, two weeks ago. So we hope you enjoy some of the best interviews from the best podcast available, which you can check out at clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Kicking things off today, the Vice President of Player Personnel, Glenn Cook. We had a chance to sit down with him. It is a two-parter. It is a good one. Here's Glenn Cook on the best of Cleveland Browns Daily BPA edition. My friend, congratulations on a well-deserved promotion uh, under the new Andrew Barry regime. And the last time we saw you in person was at the NFL Combine. Clearly, it's been a few months, and it's, there's been a lot going on. So why don't you kind of give us the Cliff Notes version of what's gone on with you here in these past few months uh, that have been pretty crazy around the world. Well, we had a draft. I'm not sure if you uh, got a chance to see that. No, uh, so I'm actually sitting in, in, in my office for the first time since about, yeah, 12 weeks ago, as we just talked about. Uh, really just trying to get reacclimated and, and work through this first phase. Uh, hopefully we get everybody back in the building. But we've kind of transitioned, uh, you know, from, from picking players to now just calibrating our process and, and kind of, getting our group caught up on any changes that we're going to make this offseason. So it's been uh, a little bit of a nice reprieve from the chaos uh, a few months ago and just taking a step back and, and cleaning up certain parts of our process. Glenn, when you left the office back in March, did you ever think that the draft would even go the way it did with, with you guys all being a part? I mean, was that even – were you even thinking about that? I tell everybody, honestly – the only difference is not being in the room. I think at least our group did a really good job from Trex and, and the IT department and Brad and our football information systems group to the coaching staff, scouts, like everyone really was unflappable, came together and did exactly what was necessary to make it a, a pretty successful draft. So you know, outside of missing that interaction of fist bumping and, and, and getting excited and putting on suits, uh, you really did not notice uh, much difference once you got on the clock. Just going back to that, though, how important was it to go into that situation and have kind of a, an organized plan? Because obviously, if it's not organized, that could probably be, be tough to deal with uh, over, over these kind of last few months. No, that's a good question. Uh, you know, Andrew is extremely organized, and I, I think it was, it, it was first of all, it was really good uh, having him come in with a group that was familiar with him. And so everyone really was able to transition pretty quickly. Uh, we built the draft board uh, in February, somewhat without uh, many bumps. And then everyone, I think, across the league was fortunate to get to go to the combine. So having all those bits of information having been through the fall already and, and gotten all the scouting piece uh, collected, I don't think, uh, you know, we really had to make hard decisions until we got into, and when I say hard, it was one of those where there were really deep conversations until we got to the third round pick uh, where it was Jacob Phillips a little bit. But otherwise, we've done so many uh, mock draft situations and scenario planning. We're pretty 
pretty on top of it. I, I was going to say, I think if there was a team that was in the forefront and the team that was more than equipped to handle this, it was, it was you guys, you mentioned the IT department, but the number of guys that had experience and were able to not miss a beat because of the technology aspect. You guys, everything seemed to flow better than advertised. Yeah, I, I, I joked our, our biggest hiccup was probably the mock draft. <laughs> we actually had some, some technical difficulties in that. But uh, outside of that, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have a group that's pretty proficient in teams and, and any of the other new technology that have come out. And even, even – you know, some of the ones who were not, everyone was adaptable and, and learned pretty quickly. So yeah, it, it definitely worked out pretty well from that standpoint. Now, from your guys' department, what is the biggest difference now in the, in the, on the schedule, now with maybe no practices happening in the facility or no spring practices for college football right now? Yeah, just, a, you know, a couple of those, those growth opportunities together as a group to sit around. Um, you know, do a little bit of, like I said earlier, calibration on our process, uh, do a little bit, a bit of historical research in terms of picks and decisions that we've made, other teams have made. Uh, again, we're still having some of those conversations. Uh, and again, we're, we're still working through uh, some of those transi transitions uh, and some of our guidelines and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it's, it's doable. Fortunately, we have Zooms and Teams and whatnot, but it's a little bit more fun and efficient when we're in the room and can really uh, get a sense of where everyone fell on certain decisions and kind of talking through a guy who's been in the league for three or four years. So that's, that's probably the main difference. Um, this is a little bit more of a, a downtime for us and we've kind of handed it off to the coaching staff and uh, players to hopefully make us, you know, look good as a, as a unit. And then what's it been like now welcoming in a new guy like uh, Kwesi and his role as VP of football operations and how is he kind of kind of meshed into the, the, the setup that you guys have going now? Yeah, I think once you guys get to know Kwesi, you'll see it's probably not hard to, uh, to bring him into the fold. Uh, he's extremely intelligent, uh, tons of energy, uh, but at the same time, he's a continuous learner, soaks up information, you know, like a super sponge. It was really us trying to keep up with Quays, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, he's he's a pretty hyped and energetic individual. So it's been pretty seamless uh, in that regard. Quays has been fun to work with from afar, and, and getting him in the building is going to be even funner. How many different scenarios are you and the crew there coming up with as it pertains to the upcoming college football season? Uh, it may happen, might not happen. You've got certain conferences that say, we're just going to play a conference schedule. What, uh, I mean, how many different scenarios do you have to come up with? Or is it really just, well, more of a reactionary deal than anything else? You know, at the end of the day, we, we have to be prepared to respond to whatever decisions the NCAA or particular states make. Uh, we have, I'd say, if I gave you a hard number, probably five to six different scenarios and contingencies we're, we're working through and, and pretty close to fleshing out, you know, it's, it's a virus that we can't control. And I'm, you know, obviously we have to somewhat play it by ear, but we're trying to be pre as prepared as we can uh, in the event that the season goes smoothly and we're able to travel as normal, or if teams 
you know, create a little bit of a delay in terms of, uh, you know, when you can come and or maybe limitations around how many people can come. So we're trying to think through as many different possibilities as we can. And as we hear new information, we're keeping our ear to the ground in terms of the college landscape. And we'll just have to be ready to, to adapt uh, as necessary. Glenn, you mentioned earlier about, about Andrew knowing you guys and that really helping in the process. What, what did it mean to kind of see now that the staff is together that the vast majority of it is people who were here before and also a lot of people now in elevated new positions and, and kind of the, the trust that he has uh, in the staff that's on hand? Yeah, you know, we talked about earning trust daily, um, you know, as a, as a senior group with uh, Mr. Haslam and, and D and J-Dub and, and just the ownership group. And, you know, trust is that core foundational piece to everything else you do. So from that standpoint, it was awesome to go into a situation where you trusted both the individual and, uh, you know, the scout per se, um, you know, piece of the people you work with. Because then it just became a matter of, okay, how do we make the best decision? What do we need in order to make these decisions? as opposed to trying to feel out, you know, does my, you know, new direct report even like me? Uh, you know, where do I sit? There are a lot of things that scouts go through in terms of turnover that is really tough that people may not consider. And when you don't have to really worry about, hey, am I gonna just have a job? Um, everyone's focus is on building the team and making the best decisions for the Browns. And, and for you personally, what is the big difference in now what you're doing as opposed to, to what you were doing before now? Uh, what's not different, you know? <laughs> yeah, what, what's different? What's the, what are the biggest adjustments for you in your new role, I guess? Uh, the biggest adjustment is, you know, just giving up some of the, you know, the day-to-day -day, uh, film parts of it. Uh, you know, I'm still working through how to make sure I uh, get my work done in that regards, but you know, again, we talk, it goes back to what I just said. You just have to trust, trust the group to, to guide you. And, and, you know, it's, we talk about building the menu for Andrew. He's like the master chef as, as I review it. And so to a lesser degree, you know, we have to trust, uh, you know, myself and Sags has to trust the rest of the group to help build that more day-to-day -day menu, that more uh, fall type menu. So when we get to draft meetings, um, we're all looking and, and headed in the same direction. Part two of our interview with Glenn Cook, Vice President of Player Personnel, comes your way after this quick timeout. You're listening to the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack on ESPN 850 WKNR. Welcome back in to the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs. Here's part two of our interview with Vice President of Player Personnel, Glenn Cook. Was there a draft pick over that draft weekend where you just kind of gave yourself a little Tiger Woods fist pump? Like, yeah, that's the guy. We got our guy. Was there a, was there a moment like that for you personally, a player maybe that you had spent a lot of time working on or looking at? I I know it's going to seem like a cop-out, but it truly was a, a unified fist pump moment. I think across personnel was Jedrick. Um, you know, there were really good players at that position that we were targeting. But if you would have told me we could walk away with Jedrick at 10, I probably wouldn't have believed you. 
Um, so to have him a little bit fall into our laps uh, was was just a little bit of a sigh of relief, uh, to be honest with you. So that uh, to start it off, that was a fist pump moment, um, to, to, to be frank. I know you guys are, are pretty plugged in with what other teams are going to do. But like you said, it sounds like you're pretty surprised by that. I mean, when you're going through a draft, how much anxiety is there there while you're waiting for, for other teams to behave? And, and how much do these teams make picks that you pretty much are expecting them to make? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I can put a percentage or quantify, you know, the ratio of the ones you know and the ones you're surprised by. I'd say it's, and this would fall across the league, it's pretty consistent in terms of what positions get picked. There's probably a handful of just true, oh my gosh, I did not see that coming situations every year. But I think, you know, the, the league does a pretty good job of knowing what other teams need, uh, whether it's positionally or, um, you know, trace-wise, uh, just in terms of a team's had the same philosophy for a while. But it just, you know, it comes down to a few options and sometimes, who you thought would be in their in their range ends up not and vice versa so i think we do a good job of probably getting that part right the player piece is just there's too much human error in that in that part of it well in that line of thinking how fortunate was it that a guy like a as accomplished as grant becomes available for you guys at, at that point in the second round yeah, again you know we we felt so good about it that you know obviously we moved back and uh you know we hope he he brings that ball hawking skill set that he's had at uh, LSU to our to our team but you know he had a he had a what some would consider a rough 2019 just battling through some injuries but just his entire profile his entire resume you know to get a player like that you know the first part of the second round is is not a bad not a bad pick yeah, not too shabby at all. We will take that. You yeah. missed your guys, Bishop and Zagura, doing cartwheels the night of that. Oh, goodness. On that, on that Friday night. It was, uh, it was a little crazy, to say the least. We're talking with Vice President of Player Personnel, Glenn Cook. And um, you, you take a look at this whole team, the draft process, you guys working apart until this week. But yet the coaches still aren't back in and, and the players aren't back. But what has it been like in your limited in-person workings with Kevin Stefanski and his staff? And Kevin is Mr. Cool. Uh, you know, you, you probably won't get a ton of emotion, uh, get or bad out of him. He's extremely cerebral. Um, I think he does a good job of driving the message. Uh, he's, he's been very calculated, I've noticed, just in our team meetings, of just giving our guys thoughtful things to think about, whether it's personal, related to football, uh, or other things, uh, auxiliary, but uh, he's just very, you know, I've been really impressed with just his preparedness and calculation around how he's trying to develop the group, even being away, you know, which is extremely tough when you have 90 players, multiple coaches, personnel, uh, part of the other football operations downstairs, all on a Zoom call. And, you know, he's done a really good job of just organizing that entire operations and I've learned a lot just sitting in uh, on those team meetings and, and, and other things. And it, is it safe to say that he, you guys have done a pretty good job already of identifying the, the traits that, that his staff and, and he's looking for player-wise? Because it seems like a lot of these guys check all the boxes. He's been extremely clear in the communication. It, it's, it's easy uh, 
easier, I'll say. Let me not uh, forget hubris there, but it's easier when you know what you're looking for. Uh, you know, the coaches really laid it out on both sides of the ball in terms of whether it's physically, uh, mentally, um, trace-wise, and it's just things that are scheme-specific. We were pretty, like I said, we were pretty prepared, um, you know, to make decisions around that when we got to the draft. And even when you look at our free agency um, and any other, uh, you know, later signings we've made, you know, he, he did a really good job of just helping guide us in terms of what he needs uh, in order to be successful. And I guess the one type of signing and, and player acquisitions is identifying almost like a new position at fullback. I mean, how I, that's like a, it seems like that was made point clear right away for you guys to start. Well, being a former linebacker, uh, you know, I, I miss and don't miss a fullback. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think uh, it's, it's a valuable position in, in this scheme. And, you know, we feel really good about uh, bringing over Andy from Denver. Um, you know, that, that, that trade was, was something we thought through for a good amount of time uh, and we're able to pull through on that. But, uh, yeah, the fullback is, is a new position. And, you know, it's people say it's dying out, but there's still, still some pretty good ones out there. And it was going to help us have a really good running game. Uh, having a guy who's athletic and able to, you know, be versatile in this scheme, like Andy and Block for what, what I feel like is two of the best in the league is going to be really exciting to watch. And Glenn, I'll just ask this. I mean, for us, I mean, we've been out of the office for a couple months. I think a lot of us are anxious to get back. How much does all of this, the, the, the promotion, the new front office, and then just the waiting period you've had, what kind of excitement level do you put on just getting toward the season and getting this, this, this going? I mean, it, it, it gives you a greater appreciation for the game and some of the things you – you were able to experience day to day and, and never have to think about. Uh, I think we've all had a chance to sit around and, and think about, man, just being able to go to an 11 o'clock walkthrough or, <laughs> you know, a quick 30 minute, um, you know, walkthrough session or team meeting, sitting down at lunch with, you know, you guys and the players. I really appreciate that more. And I think, we'll all show more gratitude around those opportunities just because, again, you know, until it gets taken away, sometimes you just don't know how, how fragile and important those moments are. So I'm definitely excited to get people back in the building. It's a ghost town right now, uh, but I understand protocol and, and making sure uh, it's safe for, for, our, for our organization when we do bring people back. But I'm definitely excited to, to get that going. All right. So you were at the U as a linebacker from 04 to 06, 07 with an injury, 08 you played. I've gone through and found the top four players I think that you might have gone up against in practice daily. Devin Hester, Greg Olson, Travis Benjamin, Frank Gore. Who was the toughest or am I missing one? Well, my first year, uh, I mean, Kellen Winslow was there. Um, did not see that one. That was my fault. Kind of that class was my first year. Um, it was there last year. By far the toughest was Frank Gore. Hardest guy I've ever had to tackle. One of the strongest people I've ever uh, gone up against. I think him and Maurice Jones-Drew are probably the two strongest people I've ever encountered in a football game. Um, but yeah, by far Frank Gore is tougher than anybody. Him and Sean T. But Frank is... Frank is tough as nails, as you can see with, you know, him still playing. You know, I, I think that that says enough. 
All right. And then I have to ask one other question. You played football at Miami, but yet you got drafted by the Chicago Cubs. I did. Out of of college. Did you play baseball at the U? No, you want the full story or the short story? Uh, We have all the time in the world, depending (laughs) on you. I'll always take it. So I played in high school. I actually went to my high school, Shamanai Madonna. Shout out to Shamanai. which was a pretty good high school baseball team before I got there. I think we were ranked 23rd, 24th in the nation, my like eighth grade year. So I actually went there to play baseball. That was, baseball was my first sport. And I got there, always had played football, loved it. Just went out for the team. Um, and we ended up being really, really good. John Beeson was on my team, Kerry Williams, two guys who played the NFL. Uh, we had like a class of, 16 or 17 guys with D1 scholarships. Uh, But I still played baseball. Kind of was in and out of it. Scouts would come in and and recognize, like, I was considered a five-tools player. But I just somewhat gravitated towards football for a number of reasons, getting a scholarship offer. Went to Miami thinking I was going to be able to play both. I kind of got the, uh, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, that's a part of the package. You can come here, play both sports. Of course, I go to try talk to this to coaching staff about going out in the spring and it was like well if you uh if you go out for baseball you probably want to earn a scholarship so that killed that until I was done and then try to cut the story down someone who scouted me in high school uh, reached out to me after the draft my my last year at Miami and said hey having a workout looking for some you know former baseball players who have athleticism and you know, maybe potential developmental people uh, in in the minors and want to bring you in. So go to a workout. I tell people I had an out-of-body experience because I hadn't touched the bat, hadn't thrown a ball. I was hitting homers to dead center, you know, had a really strong arm just from being in good shape from football. And so they said, hey, we're going to draft you in the third day. We don't know when or where, but just be by your phone. And the rest is kind of history. So great experience. I went, I think, like 0 for 20 in my first 20 at-bats. Uh, couldn't catch up to a curveball and uh, kind of fought my way to 200 or close to 200 by the end of it. So it was it was fun. It was Heck fun. Yeah. I, yeah. Not many people. Yeah, I took four years off, and then I got drafted by the Cubs. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> That's, hey. We, we appreciate your time. Congratulations on the promotion. Again, well-deserved, and we couldn't be happier for you. Uh, Gribble hopes that your jumper is all right and doing okay here. Hey, I'm, I'm ready for some basketball, man. I, that, yeah. We missed that, too. I've been, with, I've been in some withdrawal. I haven't played in, like, three months at least. Uh, basketball and flag. I don't know which one. Which yeah. one's more. Probably okay. basketball. It will Barry, do you think Barry will hop back in the, the flag football? I don't know. There's probably too much risk there. We we can't lose Barry uh, going down to an ACL or something. So, When we return on the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available, rookie center Nick Harris joins Andrew Gribble and I just days after being drafted by the Browns. His first interview with the media was with us. You'll hear it next on the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack on ESPN 850 WKNR. Welcome back into the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available today. I'm Jason Gibbs, your host on the best podcast available, alongside Browns senior staff writer Andrew Gribble. We're playing some of our better interviews from the podcast, which you can check out at clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, time to hear from our rookie center, Nick Harris, just days after he was drafted. His first interview with any media members, well, it was with the best podcast available. Have a listen. Nick, just uh, kind of walk us through your, your draft weekend. What was, what was it like from maybe Thursday to Saturday once you finally got that call from the Browns? Yeah, so, I mean, as of recent, I've been in Seattle just by my school um, working out and, um, you know, just trying to keep my mind on things. But I flew back home to L.A. because that's where I'm originally from um, just to be with my family, just my immediate family. Um, and, yeah, it was – it was I went through all emotions um, in those couple of days, you know, anxious, excited, angry, mad, happy. Um, but, you know, once I got that call, all that stuff went away and, um, you know, just grateful for the opportunity that the, you know, Cleveland Browns organization has given me. And, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, just take it and go and run with it. Did you have any conversations with the Browns leading up to, uh, to draft weekend? Had you met with them? Had you talked to them? Had you talked to them at the combine at all? Uh, I talked with them briefly. Um, I, I want to say at the combine real briefly, but nothing, nothing too like, to in depth that's why I kind of I kind of threw me off I was like wow I I didn't even have like that that much interaction with the you know with the Browns so you know it, it was it was it caught me off guard but you know it, you know everything happens for a reason and I'm excited for it now I, I, did you know much about the the Browns offensive scheme beforehand and what have you gotten to learn about it and how a lot of people think you're kind of the the, the kind of center that this offense uh, uses yeah, you know, I mean, I have I have heard some things, um, and obviously, in going through this process, I just wanted to be in the right fit. You know, I want to, you know, get into an offense where I, I can use my my abilities to my, you know, to the best I can. And I have heard that it, it is an offense where I, they people think I can succeed, and I also do too. So I'm excited to you know get going and trying to learn this playbook, and you know, just try to just try to get better every day and learn from the guys who are already there. And, um, you know, just try to learn and become a pro, too, in this offense. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely excited for that. What have the challenges been for you leading up to draft weekend? You know, I mean, not being able to take visits and, and, and meet with teams that maybe wanted to spend yeah. a little more time with you from the draft. Uh, how do you get ready? You know, there's no pro days. What, what, was, what was the process like for you in these months leading up to the draft when – you're already trying to figure your way out through this process and, and know how lengthy it is, but then all the curveballs of what's happened here in the world and in the last 45 days. I mean, you know, just from what I've heard from everybody else who has already gone through the process that I missed, I missed a lot, you know, no visits, none of that stuff. So, um, you know, it was, it was kind of nerve wracking because there's just so many uncertainties, you know, no, so many unknowns. I didn't know what to do, what to expect. So, you know, I just tried to stay ready, you know, just tried to stay mentally, physically ready. Um, tried to stay in contact with that, with whoever I could. Um, and, you know, just, just made sure that, you know, I was always readily available to anybody who wants to call or anything. So, um, definitely was weird. It was uncertain. 
Um, but you know, it turned out, it turned out good at the end, I guess. <laughs> what kind of, uh, workouts are you able to do under these, uh, kind of limitations? Like how, yeah, how, how so is it different? Funny story. I'm actually working out in my strength coaches at UW's garage. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, and he has everything I need. There's, I have a lot, enough equipment. Um, you know, I have everything you need to, you know, lift and train. So, I haven't really missed a beat since like I haven't had anywhere not to work out at all. So, you know, everything's been good. I, I, I work out the majority of the days a week and you know, it, it's been good. It's been a smooth, smooth ride with uh, working out. All right. So you mentioned uh, up at UW working out of a garage there and strength conditioning coach. You're from California. Why Washington? It was the only D one offer I had out of high school. Um, so I did, there was no, <laughs> there really was no other option. So I, 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 you know, I knew I wanted to play um, at that level. I knew I was capable. Um, so when I, when the opportunity presented itself, I had to take it for sure. I mean, it definitely was, definitely was a blessing. It came late and, you know, I'm happy, you know, Coach Peterson gave me that, the opportunity to go ahead and, you know, play there. And, and I think it turned out pretty well at the end. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> were the coaches, uh, were the coaches at New Hampshire heartbroken? That you, you, you turn them down? <laughs> uh, uh, a little bit, a little bit, I mean, but, you know, they kind of saw, they, they kind of knew I would eventually get found by someone. Um, so they, they were, they were, they were good about it. And, you know, I always kept in contact with them for just, just giving me the opportunity for sure. When you take a look at the program, you get on campus, you think you're going to redshirt, or at least that's what you were told. What, yeah. What's the mentality you have when you show up on that first day? And take us through that process from you step on campus, you, you start practicing in anticipation for the fall, you're going to be a redshirt, and then all of a sudden you're not a redshirt and you're playing right. right in the thick of things. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you said it right. I mean, I had all intentions of redshirting. <laughs> I was 270 pounds my freshman year. Um, so, you know, I, I had all intentions of getting bigger and learning the playbook, learning the offense, just learn how to be a college athlete. Um, but I didn't let that stop my development, um, in camp. You know, I tried to learn the playbook as fast as I could, uh, just played fast. That was my one thing. I just wanted to play fast because, you know, you may, you can mess up, but if you mess up going a hundred percent, um, you know, they can't knock you for your effort, you know? So that's something I, you know, I try to help, like hold my hat on. Um, and you know, the coaches, they were surprised at how fast I picked it up, how fast I was playing. Um, and, you know, they presented me the opportunity. They didn't force it. They're like, if you, if you want to, like, if you want to play, you know, we would love that. And, you know, we really think you can help the team, but if not, you know, you can redshirt and really, you know, grow. And I, I wanted to get on the field as fast as I could. <laughs> I wanted to play football. I didn't want to sit. So, you know, when it, when it presented itself, I, I took it and, you know, I think, I think it worked out. Now you, you were recruited as a center, Right. I mean, so were you surprised that they even gave you that look at, at, at guard then? Well, so I was recruited as a center, but I played tackle in high school. So okay. I didn't really play center in high school. Um, but obviously, because my like my height, they recruited me as a center. Um, but I was taking a lot of reps at guard for like injury purposes because we had a lot of injuries in camp that year. So they just threw me in at guard and, you know, I, I kind of got it fast. I got the hang of it. And, um, I wasn't surprised, um, but 
you know, I got used to it fast and it was, it was fun. I, I love playing guard. So Nick, what was the process like for you then moving to center? Like, how did you, had you, had you ever done it before in high school? I know you said you play tackle, but what was it yeah. like learning the position? Yeah. So I played center uh, one game in high school because our center got hurt. Um, so I kind of knew how to snap already like that. And it's never been a big deal for me learning how to snap. It wasn't really that hard. Um, but, you know, it's the it's the taking control of, you know, having everybody, you know, listening to you and you're making the calls and you're making the adjustments, you know, you're you're mic pointing and all that stuff. So um, that was the thing that I had to I had to get used to. But it wasn't hard because I'm a vocal person as is like I like talking. I like, you know, being in control of things. So um, it wasn't that wasn't difficult. It was just something new that I had to learn how to, you know, you know, control. So. It wasn't a hard transition at all, actually. I think it, it was way easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, there, obviously, there were some technical things I had to work on with my footwork. And, you know, pass setting is different as a center. And run blocking is different as a center because you got to snap the ball first. So your hands are on different time, uh, like on, on a different time. So um, from a technical standpoint, it wasn't difficult. Just something new to learn. And, you know, I, I think it worked out for me. When did you grow into a, a leader at Washington, would you say? Um, I would say my junior year, my junior year when I started playing center is when I, I kind of, I grew into a more vocal presence. You know, I, I started to feel more comfortable on the, on the team. And, um, at that time playing center, um, with, you know, with veteran guys on the O-line, you know, they, they started to listen to me. So I started to realize that I did have some, you know, a kind of a role on that team as a, as a leader. So I, I really, I really understood that. Um, my junior year and then my senior year it was the whole team at first it was just the offensive line just the offense but I realized how much you know the team fed off of my energy and fed off the things I said so I would say my junior year and then my senior year really kind of grew um, the whole team and as, as being a leader. What has made you the most successful um, technique or mental which one, uh, which one do you pride yourself on, on that's really kind of helped you take your game to the next level? Yeah, I mean, both, honestly. I, both is, are – those are two things I definitely take, um, you know, really serious because, you know, playing center, um, you got to be locked in mentally. You got to know – you got to know more than the average person <laughs> about football and you got to know more about everything. Um and the technique wise, you know, not being a big, a big mauler guy, like not, you know, a big six, five, three twenty guy, you know, you gotta, you gotta learn some tools to, you know, achieve blocks and, um, you know, make sure that you, you're, you're sharp out there because, you know, I'm not the biggest dude, but the technique has to stand out and has to be on point and you have to make sure you get blocks made and, um, so definitely those are the two things I, I make sure. And, you know, watching film for both of those things is huge. Learning from other guys and um, learning different tricks of the trade for sure. So both of those things are definitely uh, something I take pride in for sure. Nick, was the, the, the moment uh, against Arizona State in 2018, you probably know what I'm talking about. Is that the most famous you ever felt? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, that was crazy. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was just something I did. Uh, we, me and that guy were going back and forth the whole game, you know, talking mess to each other. And, um, he, I was getting to his head and I was just messing, I was just messing around, I was being myself. Um, but after that game, my phone was going crazy and it was blowing up and 
it like froze and I, I just had a whole bunch of notifications and stuff. So yeah, it was the most famous I felt for sure. You, you had a lot of accolades in college, uh, a lot of awards, a lot of recognition uh, for your play at Washington from a conference standpoint, from a national standpoint. Um, is there an accolade that stands out to you? Is there an award that means more to you than any uh, out of all the ones that you've been able to achieve so far? Um, I think, mm, I think that my, the two, the two Pac-12 championships mean a lot, um, you know, because I, I was, I contributed on both of those. Um, you know, I played through that whole, both of those whole games and those, you know, those games were good games. They were grinders and we got the job done. But I think the, the, the main one I'm pretty proud of is um, one of our banquet awards. I got, um, it's called the Guy Flaherty Award. It is, it is voted by the whole team. And it's basically um, just the most inspirational player. You know, the person that, you know, inspires you to come to the stadium every day and, you know, put your best foot forward. And um, someone you can lean on when, you know, you're not feeling it that morning. And, you know, the whole, my whole team, um, you know, voted for me. And I, that meant a lot because it, it, it made me realize, like, the effect I had on my team. You know, I don't really realize it because going through it, you know, you're just trying to worry about getting your job done, you know. But it it kind of, you know, resonated with me that, like, damn, I did have an impact on these guys. And, you know, I kind of want to keep building on that characteristic of that going forward into the next level. So, um, yeah, that one definitely that, that one definitely meant the most for sure. What about uh, what you do on the field? translates to a, a wide zone scheme like what specifically why why are you the the right fit in those kind of schemes um I would just say my athleticism I think um I move laterally laterally very well um I'm, I'm pretty quick my short area quickness is pretty well I mean I have pretty good hand placement I'm on reach blocks and stuff like that and I really pride myself on um, blocking on the second and third level um it's not an easy task as a lineman but um, it's something I, I really love doing. It's, it's super fun. Um, and just, I don't know, just the nature of how I play, you know, I'm, a, I'm a naturally just a quick guy, just a faster guy. So um, it'll be definitely, I think it, th those two things definitely are suitable for being in a wide zone offense for sure. Appreciate Nick Harris's time. And we are excited to see Nick Harris out on the field as much as he's excited to get here and get out on the field. Coming up, it's hour two of the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, today featuring the best podcast available. It's our interview with the voice of the Browns, Jim Donovan, from our schedule release show. He breaks down the entire 2020 Cleveland Browns schedule. You'll hear it next when the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available, continues on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack on ESPN 850 WKNR. Welcome back into the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs, the host of the BPA, alongside Browns senior staff writer Andrew Gribble. Coming up here in hour two on the best of the BPA, you'll hear from rookie safety Grant Delpit, also Browns linebacker coach Jason Tarver right now. It's our interview with Jim Donovan, the voice of the Browns, from our schedule release special. He breaks down every game of the Browns' 2020 schedule. Have a listen. The 2020 schedule is out, and in my opinion, the schedule maker didn't do the Brown and Orange a whole lot of favors here in 2020. No, they didn't, it's, uh, and especially right off the tip, right off the tip, that opening game. Wow, what a game. In Baltimore, M&T Bank Stadium against the Ravens. 
uh, Lamar Jackson, who the Browns made human in that game in Baltimore last year. I mean, really human. They kind of gave everybody a textbook on maybe how you defend against him. Not that anybody was successful against him after that. Um, and, and the Browns were not successful against no. him later in the year. But, I mean, that might have been the game of the season last year, considering where the Browns won it and how they won it with Nick Chubb having three touchdowns. If you can go in there, whether it's the opening Sunday, Jason, or at any point in the season and beat the Ravens in Baltimore, you have done a great, great deal of good. And you've obviously played very well because that is a tremendous atmosphere. One of the all-time tough stadiums to win in when you're the visiting team. Yeah, no question about it. I, I think, and it pains me to say that, probably one of the top three or four stadiums in the seven years that I've been doing this to go to. In terms of the atmosphere, how we're set up, real close to the field, we are literally amongst the fans, some of whom usually are overserved by the time we kick off at one o'clock. That happened to be right in front of us, but uh, it is a very, very tough place to play, and it's a tough it's a tough way to kick off the season on a history that doesn't favor us too well in openers. No, I mean, uh, you consider this, I mean, since 1999, they've only won the opening game once and they've tied it once and there've been a whole lot of losses. And a lot of them have come in Cleveland really through the years. The Browns have opened at home many, many years since coming back. And you know what, Jason, I've always thought, and I've said this to you before, but I've always thought the opening game of the season, and specifically for the Browns, is so important because it's the one game of the year that you get so much time to prepare for. You can really mold your whole training camp around being ready for the opening game of the year. How much you play your regulars, how much you don't play your regulars, and, and you get ready for that game. And really, I think most teams, and, and I would think the Browns are in this category too, start to get ready for the opening game of the season, really the opening day at training camp. Everything is geared to being ready to go for that opening game. And the fact that you they haven't won it so historically so many times, it never to me feels like you walk out of there 0-1. It feels like you walk out of there 0-2 because you've had so much time to prepare for it, and it just is a big letdown when you don't win it. That's why I think it's so important. Now, this is, this is a tough way for Kevin Stefanski. It's a tough way for Joe Woods to open up his career as the defensive coordinator to get Lamar Jackson in his first game. And, you know, the other thing, Jason, is that the Ravens have a bad taste in their mouth after what happened last year in the playoffs. And for two years in a row now, they have lost right away in the playoffs and both times at home. But to go in as the number one seed last year and play the way they did against Tennessee and get knocked out of the playoffs right away, that uh, they've got a lot to make up for, I think. Let's take a look at the other games in this first quarter of the season. And you play that Sunday game at Baltimore. It's a quick turnaround, right. at, but at least it's at home. It's a Thursday night game, and it's against the number one pick in the draft in Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals coming to town. Well, that's got a lot of storylines. It really does uh, because uh, it's a Thursday night game. You're right. And depending upon what you do, if you, if you go into Baltimore and play very well and get a good result in there, you have a chance to make up and get a lot of steam going into the front part of this schedule, which because the Browns in, in you know, many years have come out of that thing 0-1, that first month of the season – has been a problem going into October too many times. They've been two below 500 or three below 500. And you're just fighting to get back to sea level the remaining part of the year. But Joe Burrow coming in, 
uh, with Cincinnati, and it will be really a lot of fun. Baker Mayfield being reinvented, and uh, you know, it, it it will be a great show. That will be a tremendous atmosphere. I go back to that Thursday night game. Well, really, last year against the Steelers up until the last eight seconds of the game. But if you go back the year before, that night against the Jets was so electric inside that stadium because people were waiting for the Browns to win. Um, turning on those lights at First Energy Stadium is always fun in the regular season. Yeah, no question about it. You get back-to-back -back home games then with the Bengals Thursday night, a long weekend off, and then a date with the Washington Redskins coming to town. And again, some high-profile players in, in Chase Young and you know, we'll find out who's going to be playing quarterback for Washington when when their season starts. But uh, they've got a few answers. And then to close out the first quarter, a trip to Jerry World. And for me, I mean, this is my eighth season uh, producing the radio network and the game day broadcasts. And it's my first trip to Jerry World. I know you've been there once before and, and they have some pretty good stories from the last time you were there. Yeah, it, um, it's the first time that we went there when it was built, and it's the only time we've been there so far. Um, it is a city unto itself. It really is. It is so big, and it is such a huge stadium. The Browns should have won that day. They should have won that day. They were ahead the whole game, and late in the game, they were so wounded in the defensive secondary with injuries, they couldn't cover anybody, and so the Browns kept committing penalties and getting, you know, uh, illegal use of the hands or uh, pass interference. And that's how Dallas came back and tied it and then won the game in overtime. It was a shame, but they played very well down there. You know, the other thing with the Bengals and the Redskins, Jason, it's really important the Browns win at home early in the year. Last year, they didn't do that. They ended up 500 at home. But if you remember, you know, they lost to Tennessee. They lost to Seattle. You know, they weren't playing well at home. They should win at home. You really need to win at home. I mean, that, that crowd's ready to win at home. You should make it very uncomfortable for Joe Burrow and, you know, whoever, Haskins or whoever is going to be playing for the Redskins at the time. Make it difficult for them and beat them. You're right. Two very winnable games at right. home. Not easy, but no. winnable football games at home. You, you really need to take care of business in the first month because your first two road games, they're doozies. We get into the second quarter of the season. I was a little surprised that this has become the national TV game uh, on a Sunday for us. But here we are, 425 on October 11th. It's a home game with the Indianapolis Colts. And, yeah, they got Phillip Rivers, and they have a good football team. But I, I'm a little surprised that that seems to be – I mean, 425 would signal a Nance Romo uh, CBS A-team broadcast. Sure. Yeah. And with the Steelers the following week, one would think they would become – that game and Miles Garrett's first game back against them, but instead it's the Colts. Yeah, that's really interesting. Good team, great coach. I like Frank Reich a lot. I think he does great things there. Um, I think that unfortunately, I mean, you know, if you can remember last year when we were there in the summer for that, uh, the combined practices with the two, which led up to the, to the preseason game against each other at Lucas Oil Stadium, um, at that point, remember, Jason, they were just saying, well, Andrew Luck's going to be back. I mean, it's just a matter of when, but he's going to come back. There's no doubt about it. And, of course, right after we leave, then it really comes out, <laughs> no, he's not going to be back. In fact, he's never coming back. He's going to retire. So, I mean, that threw a monkey wrench into their season. The Phillip Rivers thing will be really interesting because the Tom Brady story has overshadowed some of these quarterbacks moving around. Um, it will be interesting to see. I mean, Rivers is on an interesting deal there. It's a one-year deal. Um, you know, they have other, you know, quarterbacks laying behind there. 
Jacoby Brissett. Um, they play good defense. I, I, that, that should be an interesting game. It really should. The, the Colts, um, you know, that will be a lot of fun. It will, you know, and as you say, it's a late afternoon game. You know, the crowd will be ready. <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> no question about it. All right, so we have the Colts, and then we hit the road for two games. And then you get really into the division swing yet again at Pittsburgh, at Cincinnati. So before the bye week and before you get the halfway point of the year, Cincinnati's done and gone. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, give, I have to give that Zach Taylor a lot of credit. When the Browns played them last year, I thought the Bengals played really hard. And obviously – really well the last game of the season and beat the Browns but even the game in Cleveland I mean they're inside the 10-yard line the entire afternoon the fact of the matter was they couldn't get it into the end zone and score touchdowns but they were all over the Browns that was a very white knuckle or ride that afternoon in a game where if you remember when you when the Browns went into the game that day at home against the Bengals you figure it's going to be a win and probably a very easy win and the statistics said the Browns should run the ball all over them. They were the worst run defense in the NFL. And the Browns, for some reason, didn't run the ball in the first half. But it was a tight game. And, um, you know, I would ima- it will be interesting to see what Zach Taylor does in his second year. And, of course, the trip to Pittsburgh is always amazing. You know, and at some point, things have got to shift around there. Because if you're really going to arrive at the point where you want to arrive at, win the division, go to the playoffs, you're going to have to learn how to win over there. And more importantly, you have to overcome the song Renegade. Yes, that's right. When that, that, Renegade comes on, I would, you'd like to have a lead. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say, desperately want to have a lead in that situation. <laughs> uh, the final game before the bye week, the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, Gruden Mayock, will Carr be the quarterback? Will it be Mariota by that time? I, I think there's a lot of storylines involving the Raiders here by the time they get to us. Halloween weekend and by the way quite happy that they're coming here Halloween weekend as opposed to us going to them in Vegas yeah they're yeah I think everything has been gauged to um you know making what they think is going to be actually be their team the the Gruden Mayock creation when they arrive in Las Vegas I mean you know and so they're there presumably and and you just wonder what they're going to be all about I I um you know I the John Gruden thing shows little signs, Jason, that it's going to take shape and take off, but then they'll, they'll lose two in a row and they, they may not play well. And, um, you know, it just has had, it hasn't had, it hasn't had a long shelf life when they've played well. Now, whether that's the quarterback or whether it's him just really fiddling with his roster to the point now where he says, okay, it's year three and it's time to really go that, that should be, would be, it will be a lot of fun to see them come to Cleveland and it will be a lot of fun to see really what they're all about by that time because they should be really starting to become what they envision themselves to become. The bye week comes right at the middle of the year, which we will take all day long. Coming out then, the third quarter of the football season. And <clears throat> Andrew Gribble and I talked about earlier, Gribbs thinks this is the toughest part of the schedule here. The next four out of the five games that you're playing are against playoff caliber opponents and you start things off with two games at home, it'll be Houston followed by Philadelphia. Two very tough games for this football team. And really probably at this point in the year, you're probably going gut check time. Let's see what this team is made of here against two of the better teams in football. Yeah, I agree. Um, We do not play well um, through the years, except when they first came into the NFL against the Texans. 
I mean, early on, we were okay against the Texans. Terry Rubisky got his only win as the interim head coach of the Browns against the Texans. Uh, Butch Davis got a win against the Texans. Um, but since then, we have really struggled. There was a death knell game uh, when it looked as though we were rolling, uh, coming in against Houston, and J.J. Uh, Watt just dominated the game against the Browns. The last time we were down there, Mayfield had a bad first half, but a very good second half, but it was such a bad first half that, uh, you know, it just wasn't going to work. Uh, I don't know if you remember, you remember the the failed attempt of making Kevin Hogan a starting quarterback against the <laughs> against the Texans, and he completed more to Houston than he did to his own team. Um, yeah, that that that's that's going to be a tough twosome. You're right about that. Philadelphia, you know, I just admire Doug Peterson and how he coaches that team very very much. And then you go on the road for two games. Thanksgiving weekend, we are in Jacksonville, and then the following week, we are at Tennessee. A yet another playoff team, a team that went to the AFC championship game. So a game at Jacksonville and, and a lot of fans, I think, would look at that Jacksonville game and say, eh, that's a win. They're not a good football yeah. team. They're going to be tanking. We have not played well in Jacksonville. No, my gosh. The last time we went down there, I mean, <laughs> you know, you figured that you're, you know, you're going to win and you're going to, you know, you're on a roll there and they went down there and, uh, you know, just didn't perform well at all. Brian Hoyer had a rough game down there, I remember. And uh, the Browns just, you know, fizzled down there. So, um, again, you know, Doug Marone, I would imagine, Jason, I mean, remember there were reports right at the conclusion of the regular season that he was fired, but he wasn't fired. Um, you know, a lot of – you know, this game, we could have easily been in London for this game, but the international games have been brought back stateside. Certainly understandable. Um, again, um, interesting game. I like the Browns' talent against Jacksonville. And um, like you said, then the game after that, you know, uh, that's a really good team. With yeah. a, That coach really knows how to get that team dialed up. We got a taste of that in a very, very distasteful way in the opening game last year. Mike Vrabel really did an amazing job with that team. Final quarter of the season then, uh, and it closes out a little bit of a gauntlet here. It's a Monday nighter. It's our second primetime game. It's against the Baltimore Ravens. Monday night, December 14th. Going to be nice and cold at First Energy <laughs> Stadium, but uh, the Ravens come into town for a little primetime action. It doesn't get any bigger than that for the Browns. I always look at the schedule, and it always looked so so great and appetizing because you get your rivalries once again. You're inside the division, but you want to be in it. You know, you don't want to be in that category of in the hunt. You want to be in the category of for the division. You're still in it. You're definitely in it as a wild card possibility. And that, that would add to the atmosphere. You just don't want to be playing out the string. And it will be fascinating to see, you know, where the Browns are at that point in time because um, there's still a lot of firepower on this team. There's a lot of star power on this team. And if it stays healthy, and I know that's a big if, but if it stays healthy, it could really be hitting stride at that point. That, you know, Kevin Stefanski would be months into his first season where things should be really in sync at that point. Boy, that would be fun if mathematically we're very much in it at that time. Yeah, indeed. And then uh, nothing like spending the holidays uh, in Jersey. Back-to-back <laughs> <laughs> -back weeks, I'm not quite sure what the schedule maker was doing, although they did this this past season to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, they, that's right. Yeah. They, they did the Giants and Jets thing in back-to-back -back weeks. But again, it, it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, Ugh, we got to go. We have to go to the Giants on the 20th. 
And then depending on who's where, and if we're in contention and the Jets are in contention, maybe that Sunday game becomes a Saturday game on the 26th, and now we're flying on Christmas Day to back to New Jersey when we've already been there six days earlier. Yeah, we've done that once. We flew on Christmas Day one time. We played in Miami uh, down there around Christmas, and I can remember flying on Christmas Day. Um, you know, the, uh, the Giants fascinating. Joe Judge, uh, how will Daniel Jones be at that time? Will Saquon Barkley be healthy at that time? You know, what are the Giants going to be like with this shift in, in head coaching? Uh, you know, uh, Shermer being out and now Joe Judge coming over from New England and really anointed uh, as a tough guy coming off Bill Belichick's staff where he's going to really make the Giants tough again. Uh, that will be fun. The Jets will be interesting. Where will they be at that time? You know, uh, Adam Gase, where are they going to be? Where are they going to be with Sam Darnold at that time? Because we know in Chicago, there's great worry about Mitchell Trubisky. Um, you wonder if there's a little worry about Darnold, too. Yeah, no question. Final game of the year, and I hate that we do this. I hate the schedule maker for doing this, but it's a date with the Steelers. And, and it's on January 3rd, and, and similar to the Ravens game, I'm hoping – that it means something on January 3rd when we play host to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, and more importantly, you want it to mean something for us rather than just yes. for them because <laughs> they'll fill the place. You yeah. know, fans are going to be in there, and hopefully they are. Uh, they'll fill the place. I mean, a couple of years ago, remember, they needed a win coming in and, uh, and came in and won the game, and they were looking at the scoreboard because somebody else was involved in a game that they needed. And you're right. That I mean – Again, as we look at it, that game looks great, and you just hope it sizes up to the way the season plays out, that it is great, that it is a big game, that you're really playing for something, not just for a draft choice, you know, or just trying to, you know, add a win on. Hopefully it's a win that gets you somewhere into the postseason. That would be something. Always love when we can hear from Jimmy Donovan, the voice of your Cleveland Browns. Injuries during childbirth require experienced counsel. Call the lawyers at Elk and Elk. For a clear answer as to what happened during your child's birth, Elk and Elk, proud partner of the Cleveland Browns, call 1-800-ELK-OHIO today. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, Browns rookie safety Grant Delpit joins Gribble and I on the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack on ESPN 850 WKNR. Back here on the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available. What is the best podcast available, you ask? It is the Browns Draft Podcast and also the Browns Training Camp Podcast. We'll be back with you in just a couple weeks, featuring Andrew Gribble and I. You can check it out at clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also check us out on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Browns. Rookie safety Grant Delpit, kind enough to give us a few minutes of his time late in May to talk about the Browns virtual rookie minicamp and how his first month as a Cleveland Brown was going. Have a listen. What has this month and change been like for you since becoming a member of the Cleveland Browns? Um, you know, of course, it's been a different experience. Uh, you know, we've just been – you know, doing meetings every day, um, just trying to learn the defense as fast as I can, trying to get to know the guys as well. You know, it's kind of hard to get to know everybody uh, over Zoom, you know, over the phone and stuff like that. So um, it's definitely been a different experience, but it's coming along well. I think we've gotten to the routine of things. Uh, you know, A, B, 
and uh, Coach Stefanski done a, a terrific job. So, you know, I'm ready. What uh, what have you guys done to try to get to know each other? And what can you what can you tell us about uh, some of the guys in your room that you've gotten to know over this uh, last few weeks? Yeah, uh, it, we, I mean, we meet with each other every day. Um, so, you know, of course, the meeting starts off just, you know, by talking a little, um, just about, you know, how, did, how, did, how you've been doing this past week, you know, if we meet on a, a Monday, how the weekend was and stuff like that. So uh, just getting to know, like, the vets of the room, you know, guys like Carl Joseph, Vincent Dejo, um, and guys like that's been there, you know, like Red Wine. Um, and that's just in the safety room. In the corners room, um, we got Grudy Denzel. Uh, we got D. Lou. We got a bunch of guys uh, that we just try to, you know, get to know. Um, and, you know, I'm looking for – we'll be in OTAs right now. So, uh, it sucks that we can't be in Cleveland. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting up there uh, maybe in July, you know, if things start to calm down. What is that room like? Who's the uh, who's the prankster of the group? Who's the jokester? Uh <laughs> Who's freewheeling and liking to have a good time? <laughs> uh, the pranks and the jokes. I don't know. It's hard because, you know, we take care of business in, in the meetings. Um, but before all that stuff, you know, guys like to, you know, joke around. So I say greedy. Greedy is the goofy one in the group. You know, he's always been like that since LSU days. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, he's a great personality. But I think the room is full of great personalities. And, you know, guys are going to win. How, uh, you mentioned it before we taped, but uh, how how have you been – what have you been doing to stay in shape and how creative have, have you had to get to, to, to keep up with, to be in football shape without playing football? And I'm working out every day, every day, Monday through Friday, sometimes on Saturday, um, you know, doing the workouts that the, the Browns send us and as well as getting your own workout in um, whenever I can. So um, it, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, it's, we trying to not to, I'm trying not to be content with things. I'm always trying to go up and, you know, improve my game, improve my body, uh, make sure my body's ready to play. Uh, you know, whenever we get a chance to. What has been the toughest exercise that you've had to adapt? You know, something that, that you like to do workout-wise that you've had to change based on what you have or what you don't have there? Yeah, well, I, I think I'm kind of blessed because I have a facility to work out in. Um, and it's it's not like anybody here. It's just me and uh, Ryan Clark. Um, you know, that's he, he played for Steelers back in the day. Sorry, Browns fans, but that's, that's been my guy since LSU days. Um, so, yeah, we've been over here just working out the facility. Um, and I know a lot of guys don't, like, a lot of guys are, uh, you know, making it up as they go. You know, that be working out in the country with, I don't know, some chopping trees or chopping wood or something like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I know Jacob Phillips out there in Tennessee doing the country way. Uh, you got to ask me about that. You guys have a lot, uh, again, a lot of LSU Tigers up here. And obviously, you can't go out any better than what you did in college football with raising a national championship trophy. And what was the best moment of that season? What was the best moment of 2019 for you? You know, either getting over that hump of beating Alabama. You know, that's something we hadn't done in, done in eight years. Uh, that was a great feeling. That was a great feeling, especially doing it in Tuscaloosa. Um, and then, of course, the national championship. Um, you know, seeing all the, all the you know, the hard work uh, come into play and, you know, really just accomplish that goal that we've been wanting for so long. You know, it's really finally getting LSU back where it needs to be. Um, that was something that I told myself I wanted to do before uh, I even played one snap in college. Um, it was great to, you know, have my career in like that. Did you ever think for a moment about going to Alabama? Uh, I took a visit to Alabama. I did. I, not an official, but I took an unofficial. 
And you know, it was a great school, uh, great facilities, great everything. You know, I met Coach Saban, um, but you know, I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I was, I was always at least in my heart. Well, well, let me ask you about the, the your last season there, and and how how tough was it maybe mentally for you to kind of battle through an injury, but still be out there for your guys? And and what what, what kind of stuff were you going through behind the scenes to kind of get yourself ready uh, for those game days? People just don't know, man. They just don't know. Uh, I try not to. Uh, talk about it a lot, but I really showed myself and my team, you know, in, in the inner circle, like of the building, you know, that I'm not in it for the draft. And I wasn't in it to protect my draft status. If I was, I would have just sat out the rest of the season. You know, I wasn't worried about going first round, of, you know, top 10, top 15. You know, I was really just trying to be there for my guys. I could easily, you know what I'm saying, hung the cleats up and probably got surgery on my ankle and it would have been good in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I just didn't want to miss any games. And so just, you know, behind closed doors, it was tough. It was tough. Uh, you know, you couldn't tell if I was limping out there. Fans don't really care about all that stuff. Uh, ankle swole, flared up. Um, but, you know, we got through it, and we, we didn't lose a game. So that's all that matters. Speaking of moving, you, you've been all over the place. Uh, New Orleans, Houston, Florida, back to Louisiana, <laughs> now on to, on to Cleveland. Um, how supportive has your family been through everything? Oh, they've been very supportive. Even in my days at, uh, in Florida, IMG that one year, you know, they came to every home game. You know, say it wasn't at IMG. It's not a lot of people that come to the to the home games because everybody comes from across the country. But, you know, my, my mom and my sister and my dad was we were always there. So I'm sure that they'll be at every Cleveland game. You know, I'll have to find a spot uh, where they can come <laughs> for the weekends. I know they're going to be coming up. So, uh it's gonna be it's gonna be nice. They've always had a great support system, and they're definitely gonna be a part of it. What's Greedy told you about Cleveland as a place to live? <laughs> Greedy said, "Well, you know, uh, he says it's nice. Well, Greedy's a family man. You know, he's been with his he's been with his daughter and his and his and his girl, and just being up in Cleveland. Um, you know, I'm from Louisiana. I've never even been to Cleveland before. I never even thought about going to Cleveland before. So um, <laughs> he said it's it's not as bad as you were seeing. Uh, it's on the, it's on a lake." Um, downtown area is great, great stadium, um, you know, great people as well. So, and I'm excited to get up there for the first time. You will need a winter coat. I, I hate to I'm be the sure. bearer of bad news, but that, that <laughs> yeah. part will come in December. But and if you're playing in January, it doesn't matter. You don't feel the cold. Trust me, right. especially right. when you're playing January football. <laughs> <laughs> um What's the best piece of advice that Ryan Clark's given you? You said you, you train with him. What's, he, what's the best piece of advice you've gotten? What has he told you about that little rivalry with the team that he used to play for? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big rivalry at that. You know, the division games, I know that they were always, you know, he's always been rivals with the Steelers. So, um, you know, he's, he's really just told me, you know, just, just be yourself. And, you know, guys wish that they had their rookie year back. Um, so just just going going year one is really something to prove. You know, I think that I have a lot of stuff to prove to people. Uh, of course, every team that passed me up and you know being drafted 44th overall, it's really a big chip on my shoulder. Um, so you know, some guys may look at it as a, as a good thing. I do. You know, I'm, I'm truly blessed, but I do have a lot more to prove, and you know, I'm ready to put on that Browns jersey and get to work. One of the things that Andrew Berry said about what he liked about your game was the the versatility. What 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 has made you kind of a player that's been able to to play a lot of different spots uh, in that defensive backfield? Uh, well, I think my ability to learn, you know, all positions 
is, is, is something that I pride myself in. Uh, you know, even right now, you know, I'm trying to learn every every secondary position. So I know that what the guy to the left and right of me is doing um, and that I can help me do my job. So I think that, you know, my ability to learn fast, think on my feet. Um, and, of course, the defensive scheme uh, always has everything to do with it. Now I'll just ask you one more thing. What have you learned about your potential role in this defense so far from, from what you've gathered and what do you like about it? Yeah, it's a brand new defense. Uh, my role, I don't know if I know exactly what my role would be. I know that I'm going to have to come in early and earn the spot. Um, that's before anything. I got to earn trust uh, with the vets and I got to earn the spot with the coaches. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. You know, I'm doing that right now uh, in meetings and watching film every day. So, um, you know, the identity uh, that I'll have isn't, isn't, isn't there yet. But, you know, we, we are slowly figuring it out. Are you going to challenge, before we wrap up, are you going to challenge Miles Garrett to any weightlifting competitions? I will not be doing that. You know, he has that one. Um, I could challenge him to something else. We'll have to figure it out. But he's definitely, I would not be partaking in that. Coming up next on the Best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available, Browns linebacker coach Jason Tarber sits down with us, a position many will be watching here in the 2020 NFL season. We get his thoughts on his linebacker room when we return to the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack on ESPN 850 WKNR. Browns fans, be sure to log on to clevelandbrowns.com. Check out all of our Browns breakdowns presented by Vitamix as the Athletics' Dane Brugler, and the Z that stands for Zagura breakdown tape of each member of the Browns 2020 draft class. Get smarter and watch Browns breakdown today. I'm Jason Gibbs, the host of the best podcast available, alongside Browns senior staff writer Andrew Gribble. This is the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, featuring the best podcast available today and the best interviews from the BPA like this one with Brown's linebacker coach, Jason Tarber. Coach, uh, just walk me through what uh, the off-season program has been for you, been like for you, and, and how, how much you've had to adapt to what you're usually doing this time of year. Well, you, you know what, it's, it's been fun because it's finding new ways to, to get players information. So we're able to record videos, we're able to do a lot of different things and get them information and check it. The guys have been, they've really worked and they've competed. When, when we're in meetings, they're, they're competing to get the answers right first. So that's been, been really good to see. Uh, it took work early, meaning putting things together, but, but that's what we do as coaches. We just watch video and, and put clips together, the Browns of the different places we're gonna take from, you know, to add to Coach Woods' scheme. So it was a, it was a lot of legwork early to make videos sooner. Is it tougher when you're in a meeting to to make sure your message is resonating, or how do you how, how do you get the vibes from players when that that something really is clicking with them? Well, when it, when it, when you're presenting with some of the cool functions of these you know these online meetings, is you can be looking at what they're doing. You know, you can see if their camera's facing the ceiling or if they're <laughs> pretending to take notes or if they're really taking notes. So uh, some of that's been really good. Our guys have been outstanding in the meetings. Yeah. The linebacker position group, they're, they're hungry to learn. And we, we had one miss for a family thing, but we've had almost 100% attendance. It's been awesome. That's, that's a very, very good thing, especially all things considered in the world right now. Uh, Jason Tarver, our guest, the Browns' new linebacker coach, 
Coach, what, uh, what attracted you to this position and uh, a spot on Joe Wood's staff and Kevin Stefanski's staff ultimately? Well, a lot of things. Um, one was the opportunity to get back in the NFL. Uh, very excited about that. Two was the type of people we're bringing into the organization. Uh, they're honest. They're smart. Um, having worked with Joe Woods, he's intelligent. And they got both men, Kevin and Joe, have the ability to focus in the moment and stay in the moment, uh, to quote Phil Jackson, because we all saw the, the Michael Jordan stuff, right? But that was one of Phil's favorite things, to stay in the moment. Both men are very focused, very honest, and you're just excited as a player or a coach to be around their personality. And coach, you, you've got one of the younger groups on, on the team. And I'm just wondering, what, what do you like about that kind of challenge going into a, a group with some guys with potential, but, but not, not a lot of guys that have played a lot, a lot in the NFL so far? Well, the first thing you've got to do, and, and Coach Stefanski says it really well, is work. Uh, our group is working right now. And what's great is, is they all come from different backgrounds with Sione and Mac and Jacob, and I don't want to leave anybody out, so the other guys are all included too, but I'm not <laughs> going to read off everybody's name at the moment. Okay, but they, they know that they need to learn more, and that can be very powerful, but they also know who they are, and we're trying to bring that out in them, their identity. Every, everyone has an identity as a football player, and we want them to be them, their best selves, and you need to show that identity every day. So regardless of what's going on, be you. Um, you know, like certain guys wear shirts in the meeting all the time. Other guys don't because they're at their houses, right? But they need to be them because that's how you become your best self in anything, not just in football. So that's one, is live your identity. And then two, realize you don't know everything. None of us do. We're all constantly learning or else we're in trouble. And the group has been really good with those two things. So that's what excites us. And how does a player like a like a BJ Goodson who comes in? How does how does someone like that establish leadership during these kind of settings right now? Well, it's it's interesting. We start a lot of the our our meetings with that, like, hey, listen, tell me something good that happened over the weekend. Just that in the interaction, that's one of the greatest things as a coach is is to be around guys get that want to get better and are getting better all the time. I mean, simple questions like that, you hear their personality. BJ's been wonderful in the meeting as well, because he has played a little bit more uh, with a lot of different teams. So there's certain things that he's experienced. Uh, we talk a lot about what it's supposed to look like. So I've been fortunate to be around some great ones and coach on all three phases in football. And so every once in a while, there'll be a PowerPoint that says with a big picture and pitcher will fly in and says, who's this? And then we'll, we'll get words of wisdom from, from players that have coached or or Coach Bloom is coach that's with us in, in the linebacker room. And, and those lessons can be very valuable in this setting because we're not all of them. So we work on, we work on a few of those every week and start discussions and, and talk about what it's going to be like in the middle of the fourth quarter in a tight game in the NFL. This is what it feels like so that they can remember and pull back on that when it does get, get there because we're going to be in them. Coach, you have, have a young linebacker room uh, and two guys last year, uh, one that played a lot and one that came on toward the end of the year in Sione Takitaki and obviously Mac Wilson. Um, a lot of people will tell you in the league, 
the greatest improvement is from year one to year two in a young player. These guys have to improve with a new coaching staff, a new scheme, and have to do it virtually <laughs> right now. Um, what are the biggest challenges? What have you talked to them about? And what are your expectations in those two from year one to year two? Well, I think for all of us, there's three things. Number one right now with what's going on in the world and in the country is our safety, our safety for our family, our safety for ourselves. We talk about that all the time with the guys, and they've been great about that. Two is coming into this scheme this offseason, we really got to own the scheme. What that means is it's not a just knowing, hey, we're going to do, you know, cover three, cover four, blitz. Everybody does some of that. But it's really owning it. It's understanding the ins and outs of what words we have to say to help the DBs and the linebackers, knowing where we fit in the defense. What's awesome about being a linebacker is how it got its name. You're backed off the line. You're behind the line and in front of the DBs. And that's the best place. So you're in the middle of all of it. It was great. And they can only do two things. They can run or they can pass. Now, RPO, they're both, right? So we're getting our eyes right. But that's what's great about being a linebacker. We're in the middle of it. So we need to own that scheme. Our young men have done a really good job of studying it, quizzing each other. We have different ways we quiz them. So that's one. And then two is getting in shape. And that's a challenge in this environment. Our guys have done a very good job so far of doing drills and things that we require them to. And I think that will continue. Um, but that's different because it's on your own. You're used to being around people. So specifically to answer your question about the two young men that are working between their first and their second year, that's what you miss is that being around your teammate in that time. Because it really is their first offseason. And there's more time in the NFL offseason on your own than there is when you're going through college, obviously classes and the things you got to do. So that's one of the learning curves. But we speak on that a lot. We've asked a lot of people this. What what about this last few months has made you maybe appreciate parts of coaching that you never appreciated before or, or parts of the game that, that you, you maybe didn't appreciate as much now that you've been in this situation? Oh, uh, this might be a long answer. Uh, I've learned so much about myself uh, having an education background and teaching for parents and siblings and everything. Uh, I we Some of the meetings are recorded, so I'm, try, I'm a perfectionist. So I'm trying to make them perfect and, and – the good part about that is you can see yourself grow as a coach. You can, you can really get better at making it concise so the guys can understand it. That's been a challenge and that's been fun to do. Uh, two is doing it from home. So you'll be in the middle of meetings like this. I'm surprised my boys haven't run around behind us yet and started <laughs> yelling stuff at me. Um, but there's more things going on, you know, and it's been cool as a football coach that have two little boys to be able to coach them as well. Sometimes that gets lost, especially in a first year offseason, because your first year moving into somewhere, uh, there's just more things that go on, right? And doing that from home this year was unique and pretty cool. More time with the family, more time to perfect how, how quickly and how directly we can coach. That's been, that's been exciting and that's been helpful. Jason Tarver, the Browns new linebacker coach, our guest here on the best podcast available. Coach, to follow that up, what was the draft process like? Uh, from one-on-one -on -one in-person interviews not happening. I mean, essentially, we were all together at the NFL Combine, and that was it. So what was the draft process like? And talk about that draft weekend, essentially, and where you guys were all at working remotely with a lot of help from uh, some great IT people in our department. 
Oh, heck yeah. The, the IT did a great job setting everything up. I mean, it's been great. I'm, I'm on my stuff that they set up for me at home, sending me different cables to have lots of screens. Uh, you know, what was kind of, what was really cool is having your family around. And of course the, the broadcast showed that, but you know, when, when, and you do, it was cool to have the family kind of come behind and go, what's going on? So that was good process wise. Uh, very more, we, we did a good job as, as an organization of, of watching video on our own and then getting together and talking about it. That was really good. I spent a little more time with the young men on Zoom calls and on calling than, than because you couldn't visit the pro day. So that was the biggest difference. Uh, got to know a lot of our guys, including Jacob and Solomon, our two young linebackers, through that process, uh, both of whom we're very excited about. So that was actually really good. You could really get to know some of the some of the young men in the draft and rooting for the ones that, that we weren't able to get to because you only get one out of every 32 sometimes. Sometimes you get a couple extra picks, and we did a good job of doing that. So that part was unique, getting to know them through Zoom, kind of like this, getting to know them just by talking. Um, but I do, I do like, as a coach, going to pro days because you get to see them in their environment. So that was the part that we missed. Bill Walsh, Steve Mariucci, Mike Singletary, Derek Mason, Bob Toledo, David Shaw, just to name a few, just to name a few of the coaches that, that you've been uh, blessed enough to work with. What's the best piece of advice you've gotten in terms of working from those guys? Oh, wow. You could go down, you could go down the list. Um, Coach Walsh did a nice job of, of bringing a 24-year-old into the building and making sure that every Friday checking on and really asking hard questions. What'd you learn this week? Why, what are you thinking? Did you get this done? Uh, he put the playbook down and said, you know, you got a week, memorize this. And it was the West Coast offense playbook. It's famous now, right? And I was on offense at that time. So he came in to the, this will be a quick story, but it's a good one. He came in Friday and said, you know, what's the longest play? And I rattled it off. And he, and he kind of looked at me funny. And I said, what's the next question? He goes, nobody ever got the first one right. And I'm like, well, you told me to read the book. So there's some things like that training. Coach Mariucci was wonderful with how, just how to run a team meeting and, and treat people. Treat people from the media to everything. Be yourself and treat them with respect. That's what I learned from Coach Mariucci. You asked about motivation. Mike Singletary was outstanding. Um, Dave Shaw, we want to talk about an amazing person that's the same every day. That's, that's him. Uh, I could keep going. If I left you out, I'm sorry, coaches. Uh, but that's our job as a coach is to get better every day and take something from everybody. So as much as I, I could uh, learn in any of those situations, that's what I was doing. And hopefully we can translate that to our, to our young men. Thanks to Coach for his time. One final time out when we come back. Final thoughts, and we get you ready for Friday and the return of Bo and Nathan as they host the final day of the best of Cleveland Browns Daily. This is the best of CBD, featuring the best podcast available on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack on ESPN 850 WKNR. One final episode on this Thursday. We hope you enjoyed 
uh, a little sampling of the best podcast available. Again, we encourage you to log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. We'll be back with you on that podcast in a couple weeks, right as training camp gets going. And we'll be with you for the foreseeable future, depending on how this all looks for the 2020 uh, Cleveland Browns and NFL season. Again, want to thank everybody that has a part in this show. Andrew Gribble, my co-host, uh, does an outstanding job week in and week out and always has some great ideas and great angles for us to take on things. Anthony Bacco, Jeff McDaniel do a great job behind the scenes. Paul Taylor spearheads the entire project. So we thank you for uh, giving us a listen. And if you want to watch us, again, youtube.com slash Browns. Bo and Nathan are back tomorrow with the best of Cleveland Browns Daily for a Friday. We are back live on Monday, July 13th, and it all starts for real then. I'm Jason Gibbs. This is the best of Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of your Cleveland Browns on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.